Beloved Church of God, beginning our service before the Lord, let us stand and affirm the promise that relates to the door of our hope. Let the resurrection of Christ reign in our bodies. Amen. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we thank you for this once again privilege to be in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. And so allow your inheritance in the name of the blood of the covenant to be lifted to heights higher than us and to break all evil and sin that binds us. In the name of Jesus Christ, may in this place be cursed as before all the works of devil, illnesses, poverty, premature death, demonic dependencies, all forms of fears, depression, stagnancy, ignorance. All of this, let them let it depart from the tents of your holy people and stand, Lord, on the place of your rest, you and the ark of your greatness. And may your saints be clothed in your salvation. Give us more from your Spirit. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and allow us to find your holy countenance. We thank you that this service is presented by Apostle Arkady into your divine arms. We ask you to continue to lead it with your high and uplifted hand. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. May you be blessed. Please be seated. The Place of Holy Scripture, Matthew chapter 5, verses 45 and 48. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his Son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. You, therefore, must be perfect, as your Heavenly Father is perfect. Called to perfection. This promised commandment is written in the book of Matthew and is presented to us in a series of sermons by Apostle Arkady, and it is the inheritance of saints of all time and generations. And this commandment is addressed by Christ to his disciples. And so, people who do not accept the authority of the person sent by God have no relation whatsoever to the inheritance of this commandment and will likely never have a relation to it. With regard to the fulfillment of this command, we have stopped to study the purpose of God's righteousness in the heart of a person. What purpose is the righteousness of God in our heart intended to fulfill? And specifically, we have been studying that the purpose of the righteousness of God in our heart accepted by us in the broken tablets of testimony in which we, with the law, died to the law so that we could live for the one who died and rose. And in this manner, we could receive the affirmation of our salvation in the new tablets that are intended to give God the basis to give us the for, give us the promise not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith, just as he had given it to Abraham and his seed. For the promise that he would be the heir of peace was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Romans 4.13 God called Abraham the father of all believers. If we have this same righteousness, we are children of Abraham. And if we do not have the same righteousness, then we simply call 
ourselves children, and for this we will carry punishment. We have noted that the righteousness of faith in our heart is defined by the obedience of our faith to the faith of God, presented in the preached word spoken by the messenger of God in the face of a person who represents the fatherhood of God for us. And Pastor shows us that the faith of God is not an emotion, but information that comes from the Word of God, from hearing the Word of God. And our faith is the unceasing obedience of oneself to God's words. Not the words that we read, but the words that we hear. Faith does not occur from what we read, but only that which we hear. And the word that we do hear, it must be anointed by the Holy Spirit. And this can be presented only by a person who has the powers of God and are the, is the lips of God. And so the promise of the peace of God is given only to those people who have clothed themselves in the dignity of disciples, which has allowed them to submit to the order of God in accordance with which he sends us his word through the lips of the messenger of God. The sign according to which we should judge of our partaking to the sons of peace is by the ability to clothe our essence into the holy or selective love of God. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you are called in one body, and be thankful. Colossians 3:14-15 According to this passage, the rule of peace of God in our hearts is possible only under one condition, if we are clothed in the selective love of God. And we are going to be again clothed in the selective love. The character of the selective love of God is presented by the Holy Spirit in Scripture in the light of seven unearthly virtues. This is virtue, knowledge, self-control, patience, godliness, brotherly love, and love. We will remember that in Scripture, the discipline of godliness and the selective love of God is presented as the foundation of the evangelic faith teaching that is tied to the great mystery of God. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up in glory. 1 Timothy 3.16 Mystery The mystery of godliness Thus, it is according to the expression of the signs of the fruit of godliness that is called to identify the truth of God's love agape in the heart of a person as well as his thoughts, his words, his actions, and in the manner in which he dresses, which must not excite the lower instincts of the opposite gender. In Scripture, the meaning contained in godliness highlights correct relations between saints and God that are tied with the mutual bond of the covenant. And therefore, the essence of the selective love of God in godliness is defined and expresses itself in mutual obligations, mutual obligations between God and man that are highlighted by God in a mutual covenant of peace with Him. Both the Old and the New Testament 
define the dignity of God's love as one of the great mysteries of God Himself, which protects and makes the love of God impossible to falsify. Despite these characteristics that are called to yield the character of godliness, there exists a forgery of godliness which is going to resist the true manifestation of godliness. Having a form of godliness but denying its power from such people turn away. 2 Timothy 3.5 True godliness in a person differs the forgery of godliness in men and breaks off relations with them and separates from them because it reveres and trembles before the word of God and has a discipline that is capable to exactly fulfill these commands. If we do not break off our relations with people that have an outward appearance of godliness and we will not depart from them, then they are going to corrupt our godliness that is comprised of our good morals, because of which we along with them, will inherit the perdition that has been prepared for them. One of the many signs according to which we should test ourselves for the subject of the fact that in showing the selected love of God, we are collaborating our godliness with the goodness of God, is according to the presence of the fact that the Lord is our shepherd. Psalm of David, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Yes, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Psalms chapter 23, verses 1 through 6. Evidence that God is our shepherd in this Psalm of David are four components. This is, the Lord makes me lie down in green pastures, the Lord leads me beside still waters, the Lord restores my soul. The Lord leads me in the paths of righteousness. To test and weigh ourselves on the scales of justice, to see if we have these components, should be done by the presence of four other components that are discovered when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Pastor says that this is the most difficult time for us when we take off our old man. Then we will fear no evil, because God is with us. Why does God go with us? Because we go with Him. The Lord's rod and staff comfort us. Why? Because our staff in our hand, and we proclaim that which we have hidden and contained in our hearts. God has prepared a table before us, in the form of our enemies, and God has anointed our head with oil, and our cup runs over. Anointed our head. Oil, if you remember, this is goodness. When a person is capable of accepting correction, it is like oil that runs over. 
The Lord leads me in the paths of righteousness is one of the four signs that serves as evidence that the Lord is our shepherd, which points to the fact that the person whom the Lord guides on the paths of righteousness is led by the Holy Spirit. Here is the answer. Many ask, how can we be led by the Holy Spirit? Here specifically, Pastor has shown that a person who has paths of righteousness in the heart, he is led by the Holy Spirit. And a very important part, we have noted that it is impossible to guide a person on the path of righteousness against his will if he is unable to distinguish paths of righteousness from paths of his mind or the paths of the wicked and lawless who uphold the wicked, who distort scripture and take out from the context some kind of place of scripture and they frivolously interpret it as they wish. In Hebrew, one of the components of the paths of righteousness are the snares of the Most High, while the paths of the wicked are their snares into which they catch unaffirmed souls. In Hebrew, the path of righteousness is a snare of righteousness, step of righteousness, or the ways of the Lord is the foot of righteousness, trace of righteousness, the path of righteousness to the wisdom of God, growth, increase, and expansion on the paths of righteousness, and it is partaking to the body of Christ on the paths of righteousness. I will remind you that we are studying the path of righteousness in the heart of a person who dwells in the house of the Lord. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will be praising you. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. Psalms 84, verses 4 through 5. Today we will remember several signs that have been brought up to us by our pastor, the example according to which we can test ourselves that our heart is found on the paths of righteousness and that we have true godliness that collaborates with the godliness and the goodness of God. And so, the sign of the path of righteousness in the heart of a person in the broken tablets of testimony and discovering themselves in the new tablets of testimony in the fruit of righteousness finds its expression in the law of God's grace that justifies a person through faith in Jesus Christ. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Galatians 2, verse 21. To turn upon oneself the favor of God through one's virtues and one's ministry, expressed in religious asceticism or in one's religious unbridledness portraying itself as the freedom of Christ means to reject the grace of God in which we are called to affirm our justification which we have received as a gift by the grace of God. You have become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by law. This is not just referring to the law of Moses, just in general, any kind of law of works. When people begin to justify themselves by their works, by their actions, by their evangelism, uh, by their good works, by their mercy that they've shown to others, and so forth, with their long prayers, uh, their attendance in church, this can also be their works they try to just be justified by. 
this is necessary, but we are not called to trust in this. We are called to trust in the mercy of God. For it is written that I hope in your mercy, I trust in your mercy. Because everything that God gives us, He gives it to us according to His mercy. And not because we had done some kind of works, not according to the works of the law does He give us. You who attempt to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. Galatians 5, 4-6 Those that think that due to their evangelism they will receive salvation, they have already fallen away from Christ. Those who think that because of their use of the gifts of the Holy Spirit they gain salvation, they already have fallen away from Christ. And thus, the righteousness of God as the program of God, shown in the broken tablets, find its expression in the hearts of those people who have affirmed their justification in Christ Jesus, that the grace in their hearts could reign through righteousness in their bodies to to an eternal life with Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. That as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans chapter 5, verses 18 through 21. According to these words, the obedience of the man, Jesus Christ, Give us gives us the ability to accept justification in Him, in the seed of the kingdom of heaven, as a gift of grace, that we can then affirm it through circulation by sowing ourselves in the seed of the Lord Jesus. To receive revenue in the reign of grace through righteousness and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and new tablets of testimony and the power of life is to become carriers of a heavenly and imperishable body. We become carriers of a heavenly body when we, by faith, accept the promise into our hearts. When we consider that we have died to sin, we have died to the law, and we live for God, and we begin to proclaim the inexistent as existent. And then God imputes this to us as righteousness, and He, in this time, views us as carriers of the heavenly body. To grasp the essence of this promise, we can group it into the following version of this definition. Only pastor can beautifully, in great detail and clearly, provide this kind of definition. In the broken tablets of the covenant, we are baptized into the death of the Lord Jesus, and we, by law, we die to the loss that the new tablets representing the resurrection of Jesus, we live for him as for the one who died and rose. Practically with these words, the Holy Spirit, with the mouth of the Apostle Paul, presented the paths of righteousness and the dignity of the way of the Lord, which takes its beginning in the seed of the faith of God, sown into an earthly body, which at the end of this way rises 
and finds itself in the imperishable fruit of the heavenly body. From this it follows that the fruit of a heavenly body is the result of a terrestrial body sown in the seed of the kingdom of heaven. And all of this we do by faith. We accept information, and by faith we proclaim it. This is not an emotion and not feelings. Pastor many times points to us for us not to look at our emotions. We should not look at what is changing in us or not changing in us. As soon as we begin to look at ourselves and not on that, who God is for us and what He has done for us, then we behave like the wife of Lot who turned backward. And Christ said that this person is not suitable for the kingdom of heaven. We are forbidden to turn around. We never need to look at that which is happening inside, if something is growing or not growing, how we are transforming or not transforming. This is not our role, it's God's role, and it is His prerogative. Our prerogative is to look at the invisible. He is not going to do something for us. He has already done it. 2,000 years ago, we, by faith, have accepted. We speak to ourselves and we thank God in prayer. We say, Lord, I thank you that I have died to sin through the body of Christ. And then if I live in the flesh, then I live by faith in the Son of God who has loved me and gave himself for me. I thank you, Lord, that I have become, that I have a heavenly body as your son. And that's it. And then God has the basis to take the words of our proclamation and with this proclamation to bring us to that which we proclaim. For a person to be able to sow his perishable body in the death of the Lord Jesus, he needs to look upon the reward that was placed on his account in Christ Jesus in an immortal body. The reward is that which God has done for us. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he looked to the reward. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 to 26. Moses looked upon that which God had done for him. He received a revelation from his mother who had given him food. She had told him who he is and what kind of future awaits for him. Moses, having still been a child, he accepted this and he carried this faith through this, his whole life. With this faith, he refused the throne of Egypt, having been his heir. What prompted him to do this? He looked upon the reward. It was higher than the earthly throne. If a person does not accept the revelation about the deliverance of his body from corruption and refuses to call the inexistent heavenly body as existent, he will have no incentive to sow his body in the death of the Lord Jesus in order to receive the heavenly body in his resurrection. The reason why many saints refused to pay the price for the revelation they have is that they do not know the essence of the reward prepared for them by God 
in their imperishable body because they have never been taught how to prepare their hearts for hearing the Word of God when they go to the house of God. They've never been taught, taught, we hear this word a lot, taught, through instruction and faith. There must be the person that is set for us who will teach us and who will be an authority for us from whom we will be able to receive the word. Walk prudently when you go to the house of God and draw near to hear rather than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they do evil. Ecclesiastes 5.1 The phrase, for they do not know that they do evil, tells us that this category of people will lose the deposit of their salvation because they have not placed it into circulation through instruction and faith, because of which their names will forever be blotted out of the book of life. And instead of inheriting the salvation prepared for them in an incorruptible body, they will inherit perdition in their terrestrial body with devil and his angels. The relation relating to the sowing of our body and the death of the Lord Jesus, to whom, on the door of our hope, lost vineyards will be returned, the Acre Valley, and youth in the dignity of the heavenly body of the Lord Jesus, leads skeptics and ignorant in faith, perplexed. And when they ask the question, how are the dead raised? And in what body will they come? The Apostle Paul calls them foolish. But someone will say, how were the dead raised up? And with what body did they come? Foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases and to each seed its own body. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 35-38 through 38. Here Apostle Paul says, He who sows a perishable body sows it to receive a spiritual body. In the original of the Greek language, the word foolish means madman, stiff-necked, stupid. This word is characterized by by the person who refuses to ponder and reason over the word he has heard through instruction and faith. If you remember this, this person is written, he's a foolish person. Uh, each time we ignore cell group services, we refuse to cook our food where we can all ponder upon the word that we have heard. And we can show prudence. A foolish person going into the house of God does not understand how to prepare his heart to hearing the word of God because he has placed his mind equal to the mind of God, which in practice means that this person, according to the state of his heart, was not a disciple of Christ. And so each time he went into the house of God, his arrogant heart and vain mind were prepared to inspect the word preached as far as it meets the requirements of his own opinion, his own opinion, not scripture, but his own interpretations of scripture. 
Further, Apostle Paul shows that the category of saints who sow their terrestrial body in the death of the Lord Jesus will differ from each other by the power of the glory of light, which will depend on the degree of their dedication to the will of God. There are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies. But the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for one star differs from one another in glory. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 40-41 through 41. This idea about receiving the reward connected with the profits that we receive from the deposit of our salvation put into circulation finds its confirmation in one of the parables of Christ. And all of this will depend on man himself. So the measure, the measure of this light in which a person will be clothed, this will depend on the measure of his dedication. Let's listen to what Christ says in this parable. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country, who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and another one, to each according to his own ability, according to his level of dedication. And immediately he went on a journey. He who received five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But the Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And the original says, for what he thinks to have, he will, will be taken away. Matthew 25, verses 14 through 29. Take a look, it says, I knew you. I knew you, that you were a stiff person. This was his own opinion. Therefore, the master said, 
you are a lazy and hard man. You are a lazy servant and wicked. The semantic translation of the final phrase reads, For to everyone who has prudence and the profit of the fruit of righteousness will be given and multiplied, and from the lack of prudence and the profit of the fruit of righteousness, that which is in the format of a deposit of salvation will be taken away. It follows that the saints possessing prudence and the dignity of the mind of Christ are the people who put the deposit of their salvation into circulation by the fact that they died to their nation, their father's house, and the corrupt desires of their soul. In its pseudo-righteousness, the profit from such a turnover was the confession of their faith in which they became carriers of a heavenly celestial body, calling the non-existent celestial body as existent. By doing so, they showed their favor to God, to which God responded to them and to us with His grace, giving them the guarantee of meeting Him in the air. The next sign of the paths of righteousness and the ways of righteousness discovers itself in the heart of a person when he walks in the ways of him who tills his land. He who tills his land will be satisfied with bread, but he who follows frivolity is devoid of understanding. Proverbs 12:11. According to this parable, it follows that if a person who follows frivolity is devoid of understanding, whereas a person who tills his land follows in the ways of the person who loves to work over his own land and till his land so that it brings him harvest of desired fruit. Frivolity is, and Pastor has showed us, who those that are frivolous are, the characteristics. This is loitering, loitering without anything to do, not loving labor, burning time and their lives in vain, lazy people, slackers, unsuitable, deceitful, rebellious, parasitic, sowing and spreading evil, thieves capable of robbery and violence. This is the picture that is painted. It is good to see it in someone else, right? But what horror we will come to when you see this illustration in the old man. Considering that this parable is referring to the soil of our heart that is called to bring us the fruit of righteousness through the proclamation of the faith of God that abides in our heart. And it follows that to till our land is to till the soil of our heart and work on our land so that it brings us the fruit of righteousness with which God could raise up the power of life in our body. But in order to till our land, it is necessary to walk in the ways of Him who sowed Himself in this land to gain us in His resurrection, so that we, following His example, could sow ourselves in His death in order to find ourselves in His resurrection. Then Jesus said to His disciples, His disciples, If anyone desires to come after Me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow Me. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. 
For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 27. By denying oneself in the face of our nation, the house of our Father, and our corrupt desires, the soil of our heart becomes cleansed from dead works, which points to the fact that our heart has become pure and has gained purity. Thanks to the purity of our heart, we will receive the ability, through hearing the word of God, to see and distinguish the ways of our Lord in the ways of His Messenger from the ways of people who contend for the place of being messengers of God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. I remember a pastor directly had said, for me to see what is found in a person, I need necessary for a conscience to be cleansed of dead works. That's it. Then I can easily see what is in a person when he begins to speak without having a pure heart cleansed from dead works through the truth of the blood of Christ through instruction and faith we will not have any opportunity and ability to comprehend our vocation for the fulfillment of which we will need to take our cross and follow the footsteps of Christ in order to learn from him to cultivate our land as he in due time cultivated his land we can determine how Jesus cultivated his land when we study his ways, which he previously left us, starting from his incarnation in the Bethlehem manger to his rising up from a mountain located close to Jerusalem, which was found again close to Jerusalem. The ability to investigate the footsteps of Christ and to follow these footsteps can only be done after our heart through instruction and faith, again, through instruction and faith, begins to dwell in the truth of Thumim and Durim, and Thumim and Durim will begin to dwell in our heart, which in practice means that the ability to explore the footsteps of Christ and follow these footsteps from His birth to His resurrection is possible only when we receive the Holy Spirit in our heart as Lord and Master of our life so that He can reveal in our heart the truth of the commanding doctrine of Christ, which was previously imprinted on the tablets of our heart through instruction in faith. And, despite this, when God had sealed this truth, not everything in this truth was understood by us, but yet we knew that we are hearing the words of the Lord and who is saying these words and therefore we accepted them we accepted them in our hearts and when the Holy Spirit comes and he opens to us that which was previously accepted by us even that which we did not understand but we had it already in our heart then it becomes understanding, understandable for us and we begin to rejoice. We begin to rejoice when this word begins 
to produce that work which God had sent it to do. From this it follows that if we are not taught that if we are taught how to reject evil and choose good, it means that we have the ability to examine the footsteps of Christ from His birth to His resurrection to cultivate the soul of our heart as Christ did the soil of His heart. Thus, following in the footsteps of the Lord's anointed who follows in the footsteps of Christ, we show our favor to God, to which He answers us with His favor. The next sign of the paths of righteousness in the ways of righteousness discover themselves in the heart of a person when he follows the ways of the anointed man of God whose ways are reproached by the enemies of the truth. It is easy to follow the ways of the anointed one whose ways are not reproached, are not distorted, where there is no price that is needed to be paid, but try to follow the steps of the anointed one whose ways are reproached and distorted by the enemies of the truth. As paradox as it may sound, but they are found among the people of God. I remember when I had come to Oregon and I had not yet come to church, as soon as I asked about the church, the local church, I had never been in it yet. But I remember when there was a cascade of gossip and negative information that was about this about our church and then I thought to myself well then I will go to this church we will go to this church and all of these people they followed many of them for the first time but they knew quite well what this church was although they told me although they were never here and they had never heard our pastor this is an example in myself the next sign of the paths of righteousness and the ways of righteousness discover themselves in the heart of a person when he follows the ways of the anointed man of God. A contemplation of Ethan, Ethan the Ezraite. Remember, Lord, the reproach of your servants, how I bear in my bosom the reproach of all the many peoples with which your enemies have reproached, O Lord, with which they have reproached the footsteps of your anointed. Psalms 89, verses 50 through 51. From the prayer song of Ethan the Ezraite, the seer and the head of one of the three choirs, King David, it follows that the servants of the Lord, among whom was Ethan the Ezraite, were reproached for following in the footsteps of the Lord's anointed, who for them was King David, the traces of which were denounced and disgraced by the enemies of the Lord. In this case, the image of strong nations were the rational thoughts of the soul in the face of God's anointed king, Saul, and his elected army in the face of carnal people who pursued after King David and reproached his footsteps in the face of the new man. I will remind you that a footstep is an imprint of the foot on the tablets of our heart. Therefore, the trace remaining on the surface indicates the fact that the someone whom we are called to follow has already passed in this direction, leaving his footprints on the surface. From the root of the word footprint, 
there were such words as pathfinder, exploring the nature of the footprint imprint and the direction of the footprint. The investigator investigating the case according to the footsteps that were left, which serve as evidence that defines the person who left these traces. Thus, in order to determine the origin, character, and direction of the trail, it is necessary to be a tracker or an investigator investigating traces, which in practice means to be able to distinguish good from evil and to be able to reject the evil and accept the good. Following in the footsteps of the Lord's anointed, the traces of which powerful nations reproach, is the ability to distinguish the traces of one anointed one the dignity of a warrior of prayer from the tracks of another anointed one who is not a warrior of prayer. You see, here this is referring to our mind. Our mind, our thoughts, in which we must be capable of distinguishing. This is the main thought that was carried on throughout here. It is necessary for the rational sphere of our soul to be made dependent on the rational sphere of our spirit. The reproach of the servants of the Lord carry in their bosom from all powerful nations for following in the footsteps of the anointed of the Lord is a testament of the firmness or the strength of their spirit and the guarantee that gives them the right to be raptured in meeting the Lord in the air when He will come to be glorified in them. To carry the reproach of strong nations in their bosom means to take upon themselves the slander of carnal people. Let not those who wait for you, O Lord God of hosts, be ashamed because of me. Let not those who seek you be confounded because of me, O God of Israel, because for your sake I have borne reproach. Shame has covered my face. I have become a stranger to my brothers and an alien to my mother's children, because zeal for your house has eaten me up, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. When I wept and chastened my soul with fasting, that became my reproach. I also made sackcloth my garment. I became a byword to them. Those who sit in the gate speak against me, and I am the song of the drunkards. But as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord, in the acceptable time. O God, in the multitude of your mercy, hear me in the truth of your salvation. Deliver me out of the mire, and let me not sink. Let me be delivered from those who hate me and out of the deep waters. Let not the flood water overflow me, nor let the deep swallow me up, and let not the pit shut its mouth on me. Psalm 69, verses 6 through 14. This is what David said of himself, as well as what our new man says of himself. And in these words we see the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who became the root and the descendant of David. In these concluding words, Ethan the Ezraite 
highlights the state of anointed man of the Lord as well as his own state when the footsteps of the anointed of the Lord were reproached, and such reproach emanating from the hatred that has risen from the envy of carnal people is a muddy mire for the warriors of prayer and the deep waters that are ready to swallow them. However, precisely according to this reaction of Saul and his selected army to the traces of the anointed of the Lord, which determined the truth of the reigning teachings of Christ, the footsteps of David and his servants should be distinguished from those of Saul and his servants. It is specifically reproach, reproach that occurs. It is the indicator of that which a person is on the right path. Therefore, if we are able to distinguish the footsteps of David and his servants from those of Saul and his servants, then this means that our favor will cooperate with the favor of God. And so the next sign of the paths of righteousness in the heart of a person shown in the ways of the Lord is the fulfiller of the revelations of God in the image of an eagle called from the east to give those living in Zion the salvation of God and Israel his glory. Isaiah 46 verses 10 through 13. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man who executes my counsel from a far country. Indeed, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. Listen to me, you stubborn-hearted, who are far from righteousness. I bring my righteousness near. It shall not be far off. My salvation shall not linger. I will place salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. These prophetic words talk about the mystery of a kind of wisdom that was magnified above the wisdom given to Solomon and was inaccessible to him. There are three things which are too wonderful for me, says Solomon. Yes, four which I do not understand. The way of an eagle in the air, the way of a serpent on a rock, the way of a ship in the midst of the sea, and the way of a man with a virgin. Proverbs chapter 30, verses 18 through 19. And at one point we had already studied the mystery of the four things contained in this proverb that were unknown and withheld from Solomon. This was comprised of the fact that Solomon, these things were not unknown to him, was comprised of the fact that to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, Ecclesiastes 3.1. When the fullness of time came for the incarnation of the Son of God, God, through the Holy Spirit, revealed through His Son to His disciples wisdom that was greater than the wisdom of Solomon. Take a look. Whom He had revealed it to? To disciples. To those with the, from the position of active humility. And the essence of this wisdom consisted of the sovereign relationship of God with man based on the covenant of blood, the covenant of salt, and the covenant of rest which were made in baptism in water, baptism in the Holy Spirit, and in baptism in fire. This is wisdom, this teaching of Christ was come in the flesh that is engraved in the heart. 
take a look. This is what this is referring to here. And this sovereignty consisted in the fact that each side of the covenant of God and man was responsible for fulfilling its own role, designated by God in this covenant. The role of God was to, under certain conditions that belonged to man to fulfill, God entrusted him with his word, which was called to bring man into the uncharted inheritance of Christ. The role of man was to, on certain conditions, take into his heart the volume of Christ's uncharted inheritance and affirm it by confessing with his mouth. In this case, the heart and the subject are the thoughts of the heart, and the mouth had to act as one team. Let the words of my lips and the thoughts of my heart be pleasing before you, Lord. This is how King David had prayed. A person's heart and thoughts were called to act as one team. And for this purpose it was necessary that a person's heart, through instruction and faith, be cleansed of dead works, and his mouth be cleansed of idle, bad, and rotten words. Remembering that idle words are the statutes and commandments of the Lord spoken from the lips of man, but not found in his heart, because it was not cleansed of dead works. But I say to you that for every idle word man may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. And some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and indeed it greater than Jonah is here. The Queen of the South will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and indeed, and greater than Solomon is here, Matthew 12, verses 36 through 42. And so, one of the things incomprehensible to Solomon was the path of the eagle in heaven, which was called by God from the east to fulfill the definitions of God designed to give Zion the salvation of God and Israel the glory of God. In Scripture, an eagle is a symbol of the teaching of resurrection from the dead, the image of the far country from where God called is an image of death. Therefore, in the phrase, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man who executes my counsel from a far country, indeed, I have spoken it. To call out means to call for the execution of a particularly important order to empower in the new name. At the same time, an especially important designation for the executor of his commission, the dignity of an, angle, of an eagle, God wrote on the tablets of our heart by the power of the Holy Spirit. From this it follows that the eagle, as a doer of the truth of God and the salvation of God, 
whom God called from the east from a far country, is a son of God, accepted by us, and dwelling in our hearts the dignity of his resurrection to adopt our bodies. Through, again, through instruction and faith, this is done. People who are cruel in heart and far from the truth are those who, in interpreting Holy Scripture, rely on their minds and follow people who are like them. Then his disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? But he answered and said, Every plant which my Heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind, and if the blind leads the blind, they will both fall into a ditch. Matthew chapter 15, verses 12 through 14. Based on the verdict of the court in Isaiah's prophecy we are discussing, the category of people who follow the word of the messengers of God are the category and the category of people following people who in the study of scripture rely on their mind will be ashamed and will inherit eternal death. Here is what Apostle Paul had said about this. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. For in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in Him, who is the head of all principality and power. In Him you are also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with Him in baptism, in which you also were raised with Him through faith in the working of God, who raised Him from the dead. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Colossians chapter 2 verses 8-15. Thus, the truth of God as a program of God manifested in the broken tablets of the covenant finds its expression in the new tablets of the covenant and those hearts that have a promise in their hearts about the resurrection of Christ in their body. And so, the saints who have accepted the promise in their hearts about adopting their body in the redemption of Christ and preserving themselves in the love of God, thereby manifest their good will to God, to which God answers them with His good will. The next thing that was incomprehensible to Saul and unknown to Solomon were the ways of the serpent on the rock. And if Solomon were to understand the ways of the serpent on the rock, then his multitude of wives would not have turned his heart into idolatry. Considering that the image of a serpent in this case 
is wisdom in the heart, and the rock is the image of a promise that contains in itself the image of the adoption of our body through the redemption of Christ. The image of the ways of the serpent on the rock was the ability to be deaf to the voice of the seductor. Behold, I sent you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, therefore be wise as serpents and harmless, or rather simple as doves. Matthew 10, 16. Thus, in order to keep the promise in the ways of the heaven, uh, the eagle in heaven, and the promise about the resurrection of Christ in our bodies, it was necessary to have the wisdom of serpent to close one's ears in order to not hear the seducing voice of the tempter. Remember what a serpent does. It inclines its ear to the earth and then when it with its tail with its lips it proclaims that promise that it has heard it closes the ears and begins to proclaim the faith of the heart and does not hear what the evil one says who tries to sow in our hearts some kind of false and rebelling thought this is the dignity of the deafness of christ Christ had this deafness, if you remember this place of scripture. He who is deaf as my servant, who he who is blind, remember. And the next thing that was incomprehensible and unknown to Solomon were the ways of the ships in the sea. The ways of the ships among the sea that are called to bring the proclamation of faith containing in itself the adoption of our body through the redemption of Christ is our thinking that is renewed by the spirit of our mind. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. James 3, 4 through 5. In this case, the captain who stands behind our lips leading our ship in the subject of our renewed thinking is the Holy Spirit. And therefore, on the ways of the ship among the sea is presented a person who is led by the Holy Spirit. If a person is not led by the Holy Spirit, then his heart and his lips will never be capable of becoming one team. In order to reach the proclamation of the faith of heart in the adoption of one's body through the redemption of Christ to that address that is necessary, that address is God. The next thing that was incomprehensible and unknown to Solomon were the uh, ways of the men to the virgins. This is the unique capability in which we, through the proclamation of faith that is presented in the seed of the word, we fertilize our pure heart that is presented as the virgin. The virgin that says, let it be to me according to your word. And Mary said, behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Luke chapter 1, verses 38. When we hear the word of God, and when we, with faith, say, let it be to me, Lord, according to your word, in doing so, we demonstrate the function of a man who fertilizes, who fertilizes, by proclamation of the word. In another place it was said, if we are going to believe with the heart and proclaim with our lips, then we will be saved. 
And there is one other sign. I think we will have enough time to conclude it. The next sign of the paths of righteousness in the steps of righteousness that find themselves in a wise heart give a person the ability to test the depths of his heart so that he could sift out the wicked in his body and bring the threshing wheel over them. A man's steps are of the Lord. How then can a man understand his own way? It is a snare for a man to devote rashly something as holy and afterward to reconsider his vows. A wise king sifts out the wicked and brings a threshing wheel over them. The spirit of a man is the lamp of the Lord, searching all the inner depths of Proverbs chapter 20 verses 24 through 27 The phrase a man's steps are of the Lord points to the fact that God establishes for man his inherited lot comprehension of which should be man's calling and number one goal If a person through instruction and faith accepts with his heart the inheritance of his calling Due to the adoption of his body with the redemption of Christ, he becomes a light for the world and a lamp in the house of God. He then doesn't need to run somewhere to go evangelize somewhere. He already has become this light when he has understood this truth. This order is well indicated in the words of Christ in which he warned his disciples from substituting the truth about the adoption of the body with the goal of one's own virtue and evangelization. The acceptance of this promise in our heart in the form of a seed through instruction in faith, through instruction in faith, contained both the order and power of the kingdom of heaven and the cultivation of this seed into the fruit of the tree of life, designed to make them the light for the world or bearers of the gospel and lamps in the house of God. Then Jesus said to his disciples, again, this is an important place of scripture, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 26. To reject, to take, and to examine. The next phrase of this parable says, How then can a man understand his own ways? Which could be rephrased into the following question, How do we call on the name of the Lord? For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then? Shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 17. So, simple reading of the Bible, if a person himself takes and reads, he will not have faith. Here, in this place of Scripture, is clearly shown that faith is the word that we hear, which we accept. And for this, the person who says must be sent, 
the person who preaches must be sent, he who has the powers of God to represent his word. Only from the word of this person, when we accept it, our faith is grown. In this place of scripture, the answer to the question is hidden. How can a person find out his way or how can a person call on God to inherit his salvation given to him in the format of a deposit in the fruit of the adoption of his body with the redemption of Christ? The next phrase of this parable says, It is a snare for a man to devote rashly something as holy and afterward to reconsider his vows. Practically in this phrase, there is a part of the answer on how to give God reason to direct our steps in order to inherit our salvation within the limits of our inherited inheritance, which is our spirit, our soul, and our body. Remember, as Pastor Daniel had specifically mentioned to us the phrase that the spirit cannot be saved without the soul and body. And a part of this condition is to make a covenant with God. Because every vow is, on the part of man, a sworn agreement on the fulfillment of that part of the covenant, which is our responsibility, to give God the foundation to fulfill His part of the covenant. To hastily offer a vow is to confess our agreement to fulfill our part of the covenant, which is either unknown to us at all, or distorted, or familiar, only in slogans. We must know that in order to give God a foundation to guide our steps, it is necessary through instruction and faith to be knowledgeable about the limit of our inheritance. Otherwise, we will have neither the maintenance of a true goal, nor an instrument, nor means for the distribution of our inheritance within the boundaries designated by God. Enlarge the place of your tent and let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare, lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. For you shall expand to the right and to the left and your descendants will inherit the nations and make the desolate cities inhabited. Isaiah chapter 54 verses 2 through 3. And here we have three conditions that is necessary that are necessary for us to fulfill and I will quickly read them so that we understand how to master our inheritance. The first condition is that through instruction and faith we can prepare the soul of our heart to receive the seed of the kingdom of heaven. As it is written, walk prudently when you go to the house of God and draw near to hear rather than to give the sacrifice of fools for they do not know that they do evil. Ecclesiastes 5.1 To walk prudently when going to the house of God is to test the motives of our heart to see if they meet the requirements of the goals that God has set for us. And the second condition is through instruction and faith to take into the soil of our heart cleansed of dead works the kingdom of heaven in the format of a seed which contains the program of eternal life. But he who received seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Matthew chapter 13, verse 23. The third condition is, through instruction and faith, to grow the seed of the kingdom of heaven into the fruit of the tree of life, through which the influence and atmosphere of the holiness of the kingdom of heaven 
will spread in its entirety within the boundaries of our nature. And may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The next phrase states, A wise king sifts out the wicked and brings the threshing wheel over them. The existing words of the parable, a threshing floor is presented on which the grain bread is cleansed of chafe. And for this purpose, threshing wheels with their horses are driven along it, but they do not rub it. These words contain our participation in the purification of our nature from the wicked thoughts and desires, which are the program of the old man, which we inherited from the seed of the vain life of our fathers in the flesh. Driving wheels over the grain to cleanse it of chafe and husks, known as wicked thoughts and desires, is to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God, calling the non-existent as existent. To prepare the grain is to cleanse the motives of our heart that are presented in the goals of God from the motives of our personal flesh presented in the goals, interests, and thoughts of the old man. Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 7 through 8. A blemish is a seed of our words that come from the depths of the thoughts of the old man. These kinds of words in, re- in communication with one another always pursue their own ignorant and selfish goals. And as leaven in the body is capable of leavening us in wickedness and lawlessness to our perdition. This is when that same thought one pastor says to not pass along uh, gossip, negative gossip, even if it is true. And so in relation to one another, we always ought to search for not our own benefit, but for the benefit of, of one another. And for this, it is necessary for us to obey the truth through the Spirit, and we ought to close our soul, cleanse our souls for brotherly love. To have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Here is the source of love which we are called to show. It is found in the seed of the word of God, and we are called to place it on our lips and speak this faith of our hearts to one another. The concluding phrase of this parable in relation to the direction of our steps that follow and pursue the adoption of our body through the redemption of Christ states, The lamp of the Lord of the Spirit is the spirit of a person testing all the depths of the heart. To test the depths of our heart is possible when our spirit and the dignity of the lamp of the Lord uh, cheerfully burns. To test means to examine and to ponder upon the revelations of God that are contained in the oil that is contained in the vessel of our heart. It is a burning lamp that makes us alive to God and dead to sin. Our spirit cannot be a lamp unto the Lord 
or rather our spirit can be a lamp of the Lord under one condition when we are clothed in the weapon of light and become a light to this earth and a lamp for the house of God or when we are clothed into the new man and under the house of God firstly we ought to view our own body under the condition of our organized partaking to the body of Christ in the face of God's chosen remnant or as we had are right now studying we are remembering the the good virtuous wife the lamp of the body is the eye if therefore your eye is good your whole body will be full of light but if your eye is bad your whole body will be full of darkness if therefore the light that is in you is darkness how great is that darkness no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other you cannot serve God and mammon. A person who has accepted the deposit of salvation but has refused to, through instruction and faith, to place the deposit of his salvation to circulation so that in the death of the Lord Jesus he can die to the world, to the house of his Father, and to the corrupt lust of his soul in order to receive income from the circulation in his body in the resurrection of Christ, he cannot serve God. Because the eyes of his heart called to be a lamp to the Lord will be evil or will not be cleansed of dead works. And therefore, and his body that is called to be the house of God will be dark in which mammon will live. So the authority of money and love towards money. This kind of person will not have godliness, which is necessary in order to collaborate with the goodness of God and to turn the favor of God upon oneself. Amen, saints. We will pray and thank God for those words that we were able to remember in our memory, which we have already laid in there and which we have heard from our blessed pastor. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I thank you for your immeasurable goodness and mercy which you show to us in this place which has outlined which you have outlined for the worship of your holy name I thank you for your precious and glorious word I thank you for the church in which you magnify your word I thank you for my body in which you also have magnified the body. I thank you for my partaking to the good wife in whom you raised up this word and made your throne. So, Lord, our heart is comforted in you. And despite all of our fall, our weaknesses, when we look upon your word, and when we call the inexistent as existent, we again rise up, having proclaimed our sins, and we go forth 
than you, Lord. Remain faithful to your word and do not impute to us our sins. You continue, Lord, to view us as righteous, and we with trembling await for that day when you will transform our bodies in the blink of an eye. And here, in the dimension of time, death is going to be overcome in our body. Our bodies will become as glorified as your body. And with this, you will show the whole earth who you are for your saints. You will show the difference between those that serve you and those that do not serve you. We thank you for this, Lord. We thank you for your Holy One whom you have sent for us, for your church, according to your great mercy. Thank you for our Pastor Arkady. And through the acceptance of that word that you speak through him, we have a living promise in our heart. And we have this knowledge. And despite the fact that the tempter constantly tries to turn our attention to our actions, to our emotions, and says that this promise is not for us and that we will not achieve this, but as you live and as our soul lives, we do not pay attention to that and we look upon your unseen word, who you are for us in Christ Jesus, what you have done for us in Christ Jesus, and who you are to us in Christ Jesus. You are our hope and our trust, and you will hear us and will answer us, and we will wait, we will wait for our trust. Even if it tarries, it will come, have told us to wait and we thank you Lord let hope and trust be in our hearts and may you show your glory upon this trust and upon this hope we thank you and we bow down before you our almighty God Father Son and Holy Spirit Amen our Father who is in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And in conclusion of our service, let us proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us faultless before the presence of his glory and unblemished joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.